Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You can find me at rickthomas.net. This is episode 144, 144. I want to do something a little different in this podcast. I want to answer a couple of questions that have been asked. This podcast is for that in part. Uh, one of the reasons that I started this podcast a, a few years ago is because we were getting so many questions. We have a very active forum where we're interacting with people on a daily basis. We produce article content as well, trying to answer questions, and it's just a super interactive ministry, but we, I couldn't keep up. Our team can't keep up with the amount of questions that come in, and so we narrowed our platform down to where we just interact with people on our website, and this helped a lot. My thought is is that if your question is that important to you, then you will come to our place and ask it, and that's been very helpful. People who really want answers, they do come, they jump on our forums and ask questions, but still yet, we try to accommodate everyone, and that means we have to do more, work harder, and I hope that we're working smarter. And so I started this podcast, Life Over Coffee, in addition to Your Daily Drive. Your Daily Drive is where I put my article content in audio format. Life Over Coffee is where I interview people, answer questions, and do other things. And so what I want to do in this podcast is I want to tackle two questions during the show. Now, let me give you the questions, and so if one is more interesting to you, you can jump to the middle of the podcast and get the second question. But the first question is, is it possible to be a Christian but have little passion for the Lord? I'll explain more about that question in a second, but let me give you the other question that I'm going to deal with in this podcast. It is, I want to grow in discipleship. But do I need a biblical certification? Do I need to become a certified biblical counselor? I have a person who has asked that I want to grow. I want to be trained. I want to be a good discipler. But do I need to go through a discipleship, a certification rather, a certification training program? If you want to to hear my response to that question, you can go to about the 15-minute mark and you can catch it there. But my first question is it possible to be a Christian but have a little passion for the Lord? That question came because someone read the article that I did that's titled, My Wife is Enjoying God, Finally. The wife there is my wife, Lucia, and I, I wrote out about the time in her life where her Christian experience was, for the most part, passionless. Passionless, I think that's the way to say it. She was regenerated, and I shared that in that podcast, that article, rather. And if you want to read that article, it's linked here in these show notes under episode 144. But someone read that article and and said that, really, that mirrors my story. And the lady that's writing in said, you know, the question that I have is that, uh, was I a Christian or am I a Christian at all because I don't have any passion for Jesus? And so I want to answer that question for her. Is it possible to be a Christian but have little passion for the Lord? And then the back half of the podcast, I will answer this other question. I want to grow in discipleship, but do I need biblical certification? 
Many of you know by now, a few weeks ago, our first book came out, paperback book, Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook. You can get this uh, book on uh, Amazon. It's a 292-page book. We have a couple reviews that have already come in. There are 10 currently posted on Amazon. And let me encourage you, if you have read the book or if you're reading the book, would you go to Amazon where you purchase the book and would you write a review? That helps. Amazon spreads it out to more people if the book is well-reviewed, reviewed by a large number of people. And so if you would review it, that would be fantastic. But Eric, I don't know who Eric is, but he bought the book and he is reading it, and this is what he had to say. As Christians, the process of progressive sanctification can be a daunting task, with many scratching their heads on how to properly execute this gospel-centered task. Rick Thomas explains what this is and how it works better than anyone I've heard before. In a sense, he is a natural and a wise elder with lots of life experience. Thank you, Eric. This book is great for any person, especially Christians who want to live better lives and cast off the old sinful self in order to have better relations with loved ones and with God. End quote. That is from Someone named Eric, thank you so much for that kind review that's on Amazon. And and I hope that you will get the book, that you will go there. This book is uh, probably the apex mountain of, of our entire ministry, How to Change. We're a transformation ministry. This is uh, what we talk about all the time. We deal specifically with progressive sanctification, though we don't exclude evangelism, love evangelism, but the way God has situated our ministry within Christendom is is in the area of progressive sanctification. And this book covers the process of transformation, and I would love for you to get it. Now, with this idea of transformation in mind, we had a reader who read the article called My Wife is Enjoying God Finally. And it is autobiographical, autobiographical to my wife, Lucia. And after they read it, the article, the the lady basically was looking in the mirror and said, this somewhat, well, to a large part, parallels my life. And so she had a question about salvation, which is why I uh, framed the question this way. Is it possible to be a Christian but have little passion for the Lord? So, And the question that she was asking is, did Lucia get saved when her passion came, or uh, did she become a Christian earlier in life, and then there was a period of time to where uh, her Christianity was passionless, and, and then passion came years later? Well, the answer to the question is the best that we can know. When God regenerated her, God regenerated Lucia when she was a child, under 10 years of age. That was the time that she would tell you that uh, she had an event with God. And, and of course, she wouldn't use the language, as most of us would not use the language, like, say, regeneration or a salvific experience, because we don't have those terms when we're young. But as she reflects back on it now, she would say that God regenerated her when she was under 10 years of age. I don't recall the age exactly at this point. But Lucia was part of a religious movement that is called the Fundamentalist Movement. And if you're not familiar with it, uh, it is a legalistic movement. It's a rigid 
rule-based, non-transparent community, a fear-based culture. Now, I'm not saying that all fundamentalists are this way, because obviously I do not know all fundamentalists or all offshoots of the fundamentalist movement, but I know that the part that she uh, was a part of, and similar to me, is that it is a rigid rule-based, touch-not-taste-not, handle-not it's also a non-transparent community, which means you just don't talk about uh, things that are going on in your life as far as the important things, the sin that you struggle with. And so there can be a lot of non-transparency or secrecy, basically. And tied to that is a fear-based culture uh, because you don't want to be found out. You're afraid to talk about the real important things, the sanctification type things. Now, what that does is that you can't have passion for God if you are suppressing the reality of who you are. And she lived in that religion, and so it wasn't a communicative religion in the sense that they could talk openly and transparently about problems. And if you're not going to be honest with with who you are and what you're dealing with after a while, this suppression will take hold. And it will not only keep you in a transparent culture, but it will dampen whatever passion that you could have for God. And so the fundamentalist movement was a major shaping influence in her life. And of course, that is a fear-based culture. And so fear becomes the dominant theme. And then it also leads to a lot of externalism. Uh, you present whatever their interpretation of living the Christ life is, and usually it was anything that was counter to the culture as far as externals were concerned. So they would not go to movies per se, women would not wear pants, and there's just a lot of externality. And so it was a suppressive, non-transparent, fear-based culture that led to a lot of self-righteousness well, those things are naturally going to kill whatever passion that you could have, should have, uh, for the Lord. And so Lucia learned how to serve God by rote, which turned more into religion than a relationship with her Creator. So in a sense, as a young person and as a teen, she came up under that heavy fundamentalist shaping influence, and so the passion that she could have for God never took root, never gained any kind of, of traction. And the outcome, that outcome does not mean that she was not regenerated. And so to answer the question as clearly as I know how, you can be regenerated, but you can come up under or inside of a culture that doesn't value such things as communication, transparency, integrity, honesty, as it pertains of talking about the real issues in your life, it becomes a significant shaping influence, and it can hurt, or in her case, it did hurt how she lived out her faith, which was passionless. Now, after we married in 1997, we left the fundamentalist movement. Now, we left for a lot of reasons, not just their rule-based, fear-based practices. We didn't know where we were going, but we did know what we were leaving because uh, the religion was so uh, suffocating that we couldn't live out our faith uh, according to how we believed that God wanted us to live out our faith. And, of course, being in that movement for so long and 
Of course, part of the teaching is is that everybody else is wrong, and so you, you don't dare go out of your of your own group or your own kind, and so you live in somewhat of a hermetically sealed echo chamber. And so leaving fundamentalism was truly a hard thing, but we knew that we had to leave, and in God's kind providence, he led us to a more gospel-centric community. Now, we didn't have that kind of language back then, and as I said, we didn't know where we were going, so uh, without question, it was a God thing, because we were definitely blind. We knew what we were leaving, but we did not know where we were going, kind of like Abraham. He knew that he was leaving, uh, but he didn't know where he was going, and mercifully, God led us to a church that that helped us to uh, grow in our understanding of Christianity as taught from a bibliocentric, Christocentric perspective in the Bible. And over a period of years, we began to become more transparent, began to be uh, become more honest. Now, this happened through different means. Uh, the article that I wrote about was it, it was an epiphany of, of a sense when when her passion for God just kind of sprung up, but it didn't happen that way in a punctiliar moment. It happened it was a cumulative effect over a period of time. The result, as I talk about in that article, that we were in the van one day and and got uh, Lucia was listening to this Christ-centered music and. And she began to spontaneously praise God by the lifting up of her hands and so forth. And as I say, there's not really a big deal to be made about lifting up your hands, whether you do or don't. It's not the point. But for her, it was important, and it sig- signified to me that there was some- something had happened in her. But it was the accumulative effect of what I call gospel-centered companions. Uh, she came up under better preaching. Uh, it began to change how she studied the Bible. Our music choices changed as well, more gospel-centered, Christocentric type music. Our relationships began to change as we began to live in a more uh, transparent community. And she also, at this time, she, she was reading many books, but one of the books that she read, and maybe the one that had the most effect on her, was The Gospel for Real Life by Jerry Bridges. I'm not saying if you read that book... <laughs> Uh, I'm not giving you a formula here. I'm not giving you a magic pill. I'm just telling you what happened with her. And she was reading that book, which really gets, does a deep dive into the gospel, uh, the sacrificial system, and and what the death of Christ means. And that really began to transform her. So it was accumulation of these gospel-centered companions where she was living at that time in this new culture that we uh, began to participate in. And then above all else, it, it, it's, it had a lot to do with how we were relating to each other as a husband and wife. Our relationship began to change dynamically. Now, you can go to church meetings on Sunday and become part of relationships that are outside of your home, and you can listen to music and read books and hear wonderful preaching, but where you spend most of your time is inside your home with your spouse, possibly with your children if you have any, and we didn't have any, or we just started having babies at that time. But it's, it's your relationship with your spouse that had a huge effect. And so as we began to transform, God began to work in our hearts, and she began to understand. Of course, we were communicating. We had tons of reciprocal conversation as we talked back and forth about these new things that we were experiencing 
and how God was working in our heart. And so you you can listen to a sermon, and, and if that's all you have, well, that's not bad, but it's not good enough. But what we did is we listened to a sermon, then we'd come home and we'd talk about it, maybe talking about it three days later or four or five days later. Or we're talking about a book, or we're talking about what we enjoy about this music. But, but, but all of that together, you could say that all these gospel companions were wrapped up in a husband-wife relationship that is working it out. It's kind of like kneading dough, that we're working out what God was working into us. And so the marriage was the thing that put the bow on all of it as we began to intertwine and mesh ourselves in these gospel-centered companions, and we began to communicate with each other, with this new kind of language, a new kind of relating to each other, and then over a period of time, the accumulative effect, she had this van experience where she was praising God, as I talked about in that podcast. And so the answer to the question is, is it possible to be a Christian but have a little passion for the Lord? Yes, absolutely. And of course, your situation will be unique to you. I just gave you what Lucia's experience, life experience, was in a very abbreviated format. And that might not be yours, but you can still be part of some kind of community or context or situation or life experience or shaping influences to where passion is just not coming. And uh, you'll have to deal with that individually uh, uh, of the kind of person that you are. And if you want to talk about that, your unique story We'd love to serve you that way and talk about it and and see if we can help you to connect some dots. But there's no question that you can be a Christian and be a passionless one. And in the mercy of God, he began to work in Lucia's heart in such a way. uh, She became a Christian when she, let's say, seven, eight years of age. And this experience that we're talking about here, uh, she she may have been 30 years old. So let's say 20-something years later is when she had this wonderful experience with the Lord that really transformed how she related to him, related to me, related to uh, everyone. This is episode number 148, uh, 144, I'm sorry. We're doing a Q&A. And so the first question that I'm answering, is it possible to be a Christian but have a little passion for the Lord? Now, let's, let's change gears here. Question number two, I want to grow in discipleship, but do I need to be a biblical counselor? Well, I wrote another article, and that's where this question comes from, and that article is linked here also. The title of that article is, Do I Need to Be Certified to Become a Counselor? And a person wrote in and said, I want to be trained. I want to grow in in training, and I'm going through a certification program with an organization, a certifying organization, a biblical counseling certifying organization, but I don't believe that I'm going to be a certified biblical counselor. I, I, I don't see that as the end result of this process that I am in. So am I doing the right thing? Should I be part of a certification program when more than likely, I'm not going to be a biblical counselor on that level. And so I'm answering that question here. And the way that I would answer that question is that you need to ask a better question. A better question would not be so much about certification. Just set certification aside. Let's say that certification in the context of this individual is absolutely irrelevant. The better question to ask is, do you want to experience Christian training? Do you want to be, do you want to be equipped 
as a Christian disciple, or just set certification aside, ignore certification. Do you want training in discipleship? Do you want training in sanctification? Do you want to be a better Christian? Now, as I read the lady's question, in my view, that's what she's really asking. Now, she just happened to be in a biblical counseling certification program, uh, but she was conjoining these two ideas of getting training and being certified and was a bit confused or had a question about that. And so I'm saying that just forget about certification. Make it irrelevant and ask this question. Do you want to be trained in discipleship, in sanctification? Do you want to be a better Christian? Do you want to be equipped? Now, the answer to that question with this lady is an absolute, without question, undeniable, non-arguable yes. She wants to be trained as a Christian, to be a better Christian, to be a discipler of Christ, to fulfill the Great Commission in whatever that, however that iterates for her within her sphere of influence. And I commend her for that fantastic desire. All Christians should pursue training, equipping, discipleship, sanctification. It's how we can more effectively fulfill the Great Commission. Because the truth is, without equipping, you can't help yourself. If you're not equipped, you can't care for your own soul. If you're not equipped, you're not going to be able to help anyone else. And if you're not equipped, trained, whatever synonym that you want to use to communicate this idea of being well-discipled, you will hinder your missional initiatives and objectives. The question then becomes, what kind of training do you want? Now, there's all kinds of training. Going through a biblical certification, biblical counseling certification program, that's one option. And on one level, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And in my view, I don't see anything wrong with her doing that. Because what's going to happen in a biblical certification training program is she's going to <laughs> she's going to get Bible practical Bible training, practical theology on steroids if it's a good certification organization. But again, it's not about certification; it's about training. Now, the way most of us start with our training, we start with Bible studies. Now, Bible studies are critical because practical theology. The application of theology, well, it is exactly what it says it is. You are applying, practicalizing the Bible. And so if you don't have Bible training, then you're not going to have anything to apply. And so it's a two-layered cake here. And on the first layer is theological studies, or what I call here Bible studies. Bible studies are non-negotiable. You have to, now there's a, a zillion ways to study the Bible and I would recommend that you use as many ways as you can come up with, including memorization, including reading 4.25 chapters every day to get through the Bible in a year, including reading the Bible in a month, including memor, uh, uh, doing exegetical studies, including doing whatever. Whatever way that you want to study the Bible that is helpful to you, 
I do recommend that you are eclectic in your Bible study, that you do not do the same thing all the time, that you mix it up, change it around. You want to come at your Bible studies from different angles, but the bottom line is that you want to study the Bible because without a thorough understanding, if you're not a master of God's Word, if you're not mastering God's Word, then it, it's, you, you have nothing that you can apply. So you want to grow in your understanding. And so Bible studies, studying the Bible all your life, it's not bad. Now, let me say it this way. It's not bad necessarily. It can be problematic because there are those that never get beyond Bible studies. And all they're doing is stacking knowledge on top of knowledge, on top of knowledge, on top of knowledge. And there is a danger there. We can become so knowledgeable, yet we can become functional illiterates because we don't know how to apply that which we have learned. And knowledge can lead to arrogance, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And so for me, how to apply the Bible is just as critical as studying the Bible. Applying the Bible is, and that's more along the lines of what you're asking here. For me, it's both Bible study and Bible application. It is a two-layered cake. First layer is studying the Bible. Second layer is applying the Bible. You want to get all the knowledge that you can get, and you want to spend your entire life gaining knowledge about the Bible, gaining knowledge about theology, and it is vital that you learn how to apply it practically. Now, if a certification program can do that for you, if it can help you to practically apply the Bible, then go for it. That would be great, but please know that—please understand this. Your certification program is going to end, but your training will never end. Every Christian should be in a training program— However you want to define program, it could be a structured program like biblical counseling certification, or it could be what you do at the house in your 15 or 20 minutes in the morning. But every Christian should be in a training program all of their lives. Let me say it this way. You better be equipping yourself all your life until you meet Jesus. All Christians should be in training all the time. Those who take our mastermind course, our online training program, which can lead to biblical certification as well, they do not receive all the training that they need when they complete the program. Nobody has ever completed our program, and, and they never, be, never need to be trained in anything else again. Our curriculum is only part of what they should be doing all of their lives. It is a season for them. And this, this certification program that you are in, it is a season for you. I, I am still in training, too. I've been in training for over 30 years now. In the fall of 1984 is when I began my biblical training, when God regenerated me. And when I finish one thing, I move on to the next thing. Always learning, ever growing. Now, a certification program could be perfect for you. I don't know, of course. You don't have to think of it like you're going to be a counselor, and I think that's where you're, you're tripping up. Don't think about it like becoming a counselor, like in a formalized uh, setting. Look at, it, look at it like you're submitting to a training program to be a better Christ, Christian, which means you're going to become a better discipler. As I said in that podcast that you listened to, or if you, if you read the article, the article is, Do I Need to Be Certified to Become a Counselor? I have it linked here in this episode, in episode 144. 
in that podcast, I said, I, I do not tell any of our students that they will be counselors in the sense that we understand a counselor, meaning a qualified, qualified in a formal sense to help clients in a professional setting. I don't tell any of our students that that's, that's how it's going to end for them because I, I do not know the student. I don't know if they have the ability to do that. Not every student has that kind of high-end capacity, but they do receive training according to how God has gifted them. You could think of it like a cup that you fill up with a liquid. Each cup is a different size. We all are different sizes. As Paul talked about in Corinthians, there are different parts of the body. The implication is we, there's different sizes, different IQs, different abilities. And so what our training does is that it is a means to fill up this unique cup according to the capacity of the cup, which is why I would never suggest at the beginning of their training that they could, hey, this is what we're going to do for you. You're going to be a full-time biblical professional counselor. No, that's that might not happen for them because God did not give give. Uh, gift them that way. Should they do our certification training? They could, and it could be wonderful for them, and yours could be wonderful for you. So forget about certification. Is this training good for you? If it is, get in it, and when you're done, get into something else. Here's the fundamental idea. Every Timothy needs a Paul. Find your Paul and hitch your wagon to him or to her. Find someone that you appreciate, like, respect, who can train you. Get yourself some training so you can be all that God intends. And when you're finished that season of equipping, go get some more. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee. Thank you.